Our uh, scripture reading this morning is from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 12. It's uh, probably a familiar text, it's kind of famous, Mark chapter 12, and then we're going to read from verse 28 to verse 31. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Well, you are uh, old enough that you've probably had to deal with little children at some point in your life. You might have even dealt with some 40-year-old little children. Probably you've been the little child that someone else had to deal with. Here's something, sometimes it's a challenge about dealing with little children they keep asking. They they don't find your answers satisfying. They say, why? You explain why. And they say, but why? Of course, you can go on like that all day, can't you? It can be a little exasperating to deal with these questions. You can say, How do I do that? And someone could explain to you the the process. They could describe the process of doing it. And you could say, well, that's not what I meant. How do I do it? Because when you say how, it could mean describe the process of how something is done, or it could mean where's the strength, energy, power, or necessary instruction that I could actually do it? Could be two different things. Well, Jesus, in the text we're coming to today, is dealing with the little children. That's the word he uses with the disciples. He says, little children. This is the only time in the book of John that this word for children is used. Little children. It's kind of an endearment word, like, oh, my little ones, or beloved children, or dear children. And it's the Greek word for, like, little children. The little precious ones, you know. Well, they're precious as long as they're not, well misbehaving, 
the cute stage, I like to call it. I have a picture on my, <clears throat> my Facebook profile. You know, you have to have a profile. Well, you don't have to, but I have a profile picture. The picture I chose for my Facebook pro profile is a picture of me, but you might not guess that if you looked at the picture because the picture was taken when I was, I think, six years old. And it's been downhill since then, so I wanted the best picture I could find. So I, I took a picture from the cute stage. And trust me, when you're six, you are beginning to move out of the cute stage, especially in my case. I should have used this one picture I've seen of me when I was like three, and I'm like, I don't even recognize myself. Kid's so cute. I don't know what happened. But Jesus, it's, it's that term you would use for those cute little kids. They're so precious. And they are so completely ignorant of everything. John himself, in the letter he writes to the church in the book of 1 John, uses this expression repeatedly, like seven times, I think. My little children, my little children. I wish you'd figure this out, my little children. It's pretty simple. And in fact, when John uses it in the book of 1 John, it is around the same idea that it is around here. And I think... Hmm, that's probably where he got the idea of using that expression. And what Jesus is beginning to do now, remember, now Judas has left the room, and Jesus makes an announcement. He says, now the Son of Man is going to be glorified now, and it's going to happen now. And this is what he says right in that same breath. So, let's read it. This is John chapter 13, and I'm going to read the whole paragraph, starting in verse 31. When he had gone out, that is when Judas had left the room, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the big theme in the book of First John as well, the letter First John, and that's the case where John uses that same expression, my little children, my little children, let us love one another. Let us love one another. If you're born of God, you love the children of God. 
So, Jesus addresses the disciples as his little children. And he's beginning this discourse, we call it, in the book of John, from here to the end of chapter 17, roughly speaking. And the purpose, his purpose is to prepare these men for his departure, which he says right here, I, I'm only going to be here a little while longer. Pretty soon I'm leaving. Now, when we come to next week, we're going to notice that the, the disciples are totally distracted from this new commandment I give to you. They are totally distracted by the fact that he says he's leaving and they can't go with him. So the little children are little children. And next time we'll deal with, there's three little children that speak for the group. There's Peter, who says, why can't I go with you? And he gets himself in some trouble. And then there's uh, Thomas. He said, Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, we do not. We don't know the way. What do you mean? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Philip says, well, just show us the Father. That'll, be sad. That'll satisfy us. <laughs> Have you ever had a child say to you, just do this and I'll be satisfied? Have you ever had it come, turn out to actually be true that they're satisfied? And Philip says, just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. And Jesus says, what do you think I've been doing? But that's next week. This week, we want to deal with this new commandment. Now, we read the scripture from the book of Mark, where this guy comes up to Jesus, and this guy says, what is of all the commandments in the Bible? What is the most important commandment? Jesus says, well, it's in the Shema. The Shema is that saying quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. That's the greatest commandment. First commandment. And then he says the second one is kind of like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, I don't think I much need the second commandment if it's not some sort of elaboration on the first commandment. I mean, it's not like I'm going to stop doing the most important thing in order to do the second most important thing. And so the second most important thing is one of the ways we do the first most important thing. I love my neighbor because that is a way of loving God because God loves my neighbor. So this raises a question in my mind, maybe in yours. Jesus called this a new commandment. And I want to think, how is it new to command something that was commanded in the book of Deuteronomy. 
What is new about it? Now, if you read this text carefully, I think you can figure it out. What is new about it? It is not that people are commanded to love their neighbor. That part is not new. That you love one another. That's not new. That's been around from the get-go. Here's the new part. Just as I have loved you. That's new. And I think, that's crazy. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Seriously? We might ask the question, well then, how does Jesus love the disciples? How does Jesus love me? How, how does he do that? Well, we've just had, right at the front end of this meeting, well, kind of in the middle really, but after dinner, Jesus got up, put a towel around his waist, and washed the disciples' feet, performing for them the lowliest possible service. And that might in this context, provides some of the answer to the question, how does Jesus love with humble, humble, maybe we should say humiliating service. But I want to ask again, yeah, but how? I just want to say five things, and I printed them in your bulletin because it's good to remember these five things about the love of God that is exhibited in the life of Christ. Five qualities. Now, I'm describing how Jesus loves. First of all, it's intentional. He is, in the book of John, repeatedly, he says, sent for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten. And Jesus is the sent one. This is something done on purpose, by choice. It's intentional, this kind of love that God has for his people. It is an act of his will. It is something decided upon. Now, in our popular conceptions of love, at least certain kinds of love, we don't think there's any decision to be made. It's something we fall into. This is not that kind. This is something done on purpose, something that can be done on purpose, can be chosen. And by the way, when the scripture says, husbands, love your wives, it's this kind. It's intentional. 
You can decide to do it. Jesus decided to love us. Does that make it sound cold? I don't know. The second thing about it is it's unconditional. We all know that, right? God's love is unconditional. And what that means is he loves you whether you respond properly or not. Whatever your response is not the thing he was thinking of when he decided to love you. We call this God's free sovereign grace. That means there's nothing in you that impels it or compels it. It is given freely, without condition, without consideration of return. We aspire to this and never quite get there. It's unconditional. The third thing is it's sacrificial. This is how we know love, John says in 1 John. God sent his son to give his life a sacrifice for sin. That's how we know what love is. The love of Christ is what is what he's driving at in this talk when he says, now the Son of Man will be glorified. And what he means is now the Son of God will be crucified, killed, lifted up, exalted by being put down, all of that sacrificial. It is costly. But it is not sacrificial for sacrifice's sake alone. It's not some kind of empty martyrdom. It's not just so we can look at Jesus and go, oh, how he loved us. It achieves the thing the sacrifice sets out to do. It is a real benefit to the one loved. It's beneficial, that's the next thing. In other words, Jesus didn't just die so we'd all see how heroic he is. It's the most heroic act in all of human history, of course. But that's not the, it's not a, just a great example of love and of heroic love. It actually reconciles us to God. It restores life, eternal life, in the human who puts his faith in Christ. It's the, it actually accomplishes a benefit for the one loved. And that makes sense, right? We've all experienced the sort of faulty sacrificial love that is all about what a great martyr I am and not much about whether it does you any good or not. This kind of love actually does good for the one loved. So it's intentional, it's unconditional, it's sacrificial, it's beneficial. And the last thing is it's incarnational. And this is kind of a summary. And what does that mean? What a, that's like a $5 word. Well, it's about the incarnation. In other words, 
Jesus is not loving us from a distance. He showed up here in the dirt we live in. He became a man. He set aside his rights as God, if you will, and became a man. That's how he loved us. It shows up in person, this kind of love. Now, so, now you know, that's how Jesus loves. I can say to you now, please go love like the commandment. Love one another as Jesus has loved you. Exhibit unconditional, intentional, sacrificial, beneficial, incarnational love. Go for it. Do you have any questions? Well, I do. Okay, so you've described how in a certain way, but how? How? Well, that makes me want to take you to Hebrews chapter 10, 24, 25. Let us, uh, sorry. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Oh, there it is. Consider one another. In order to stir up. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves but encouraging, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, okay, so I'm going to preach you that sermon about how to love as Jesus loved. You ready? I'm going to go really fast. First of all, pay careful attention to whoever it is you're trying to love. Consider one another. I'm supposed to think about you in order to figure out how to stimulate you to do good and to love. So I'm supposed to think about how, not just how to love you, but how to get you to love everyone around you. So I have to think about that. I have to consider, I mean, you in particular, you're not the same as everyone else. I have to consider, consider one another. In order to stimulate affection and edifying behavior. So while you're thinking about everyone around you, think about how to get them to be more loving. That's how you love them, is to think about how to get them to love you and everyone around them. To stimulate love and good works, the scripture says. That word in Hebrews chapter 10 is that the stimulate is like a, like a prod you'd use to get a cow moving. <laughs> like a spur. Stimulate. Poke. And then it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So, okay, so that's incarnational, right? That's incarnational presence. That's be there in person for others. You getting this down? This is how you love like Jesus loved. Certainly Jesus was a good, a good example of all of these things. He 
really understood the people he was there to love. Right in this text, he's about to tell Peter something about himself that Peter doesn't even know. That Peter's not as loyal as Peter thinks he is. And Jesus is there in person. And encourage one another. Parakalao, that's the Greek word. It means to come alongside. Now this word gets used a lot of different ways. It can mean anything from a hug to a kick in the pants. Encourage. We, you can encourage in a lot of different ways, can't you? Well, that's why you got to consider one another. you got to think carefully. Well, what would encourage this person? Does this person need a hug or a kick? This is hard. Sorry, I want to behave like a little child. And I want to say to the Scripture, this is hard, loving like Jesus loves. And then the last thing he says is, and oh, by the way, the closer you see the day of Christ, the more you should pay attention to these things. Well, here's something about the day of Christ. It's closer than it was when you got here this morning. Do you see it approaching? I'm going to give you a definition of this Jesus brand of love. You ready? It's devotion to and affection for another person that pursues the well-being of that person above one's own well-being. That sounded like a definition, didn't it? I'm going to say it again because it's good to pay attention to it. Devotion to and affection for Another that pursues the well-being of that person above one's own well-being. I'm sorry, but that doesn't really sound like such a great idea to me. To pursue your well-being above mine? I admit it, that's what Jesus did. I'm not sure it's what I want to do. How? How? Now, I've described how to you in two different ways. And yet, I still have the question, how? Many of us have tried, probably all of us, we're Christians, we're supposed to love people. In the last week, have you bumped into anyone and not loved them? Yes. If you are saying no, think again. Of course you have. Did that did Jesus ever do that? No. No. How? How? How can he command this? 
The standard is too high. Love as I have loved you. On the night he's getting ready to go to the cross for the love of them. How? Seems impossible to me. He goes on. He says, This is how everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. This is supposed to be the identifying mark of Christian people the way they love one another and how it is like the way he loved. They'll know you were with me if you love the way I loved you. That makes sense. How are we doing? I find myself frustrated by this. How are we doing? Would you describe the church as people clearly identified as those who love the way Jesus loves? How? How? Well, I think the key is in focusing on what Jesus exactly says. As I have loved you. As. Now Jesus, I believe, is saying you should love, you should love one another the same way and the same amount as I have loved you. To which we can only say, well, we'll aim in that direction. That, stand, that is a standard way past our capacities. And so we have to say, how? What will empower me to love like that? What will motivate me even? Like, I need motivation if I'm going to go around sacrificing for other people's benefit. From the world's point of view, that's just total nonsense. How? The other thing the word as does is it tells you how in the sense of where does your empowerment come from? You love as you have been loved. Now, the book of First John just makes this clear. It says it like this. We love because he loved us first. Where do I obtain this love that I am going to put onto others? From him. In other words, he's not just saying, 
what the procedure is for loving people. He's telling us where the power comes from, what the source of this love is, which is him. He is the root, the well of love. Now, we talk about this all the time. This is just another way in which we talk about it. We talk about it all the time because it's what the Bible says all the time. And that is, if you're ever going to love anyone in this way, I mean, you can fall in love with someone. This, this has nothing to do with that. You could be devoted to someone. You could have affection for someone. But this intentional, unconditional, sacrificial, beneficial, incarnational kind of love only comes from one place. And that is, as he has loved you. It is only as you know and experience the love of Jesus Christ that you are capable of sharing the love of Jesus Christ. This always comes around to where do you look for your supply? You need to love. Where are you going to get it? It's something you can't actually drum up out of yourself. You could say, you could read this text. I think I have read this text any number of times and saying, you know, I'm not very doing very well at that. I'm going to commit myself to that. I can think of six ways to do better at it already. And I'm going to do better at it, by golly. How's that work out for you? That commit to do better thing. I mean, you can commit to do better on some stuff and you can get, you can improve in your performance at your job and you could get better at doing jumping jacks or swimming or whatever. You can improve yourself in many ways. But this, You cannot approach the standard. You do not have the spiritual resource. I want to say, how did Jesus do this? It was a supernatural work of God in his heart, in his life, in his mind, in his soul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which the book of John announces right there in chapter 3. God gives to Christ without measure. Well, he's given you the Spirit as well. If you are in Christ, he has the same Spirit dwells in you that dwelled in Christ, and that is the source of this. And as the Spirit points your attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are focused on the magnitude of his grace, his love, his mercy toward you. You are the recipient of this love, which Paul writes about in Romans 5 when he says, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, 
still his enemies, Christ died for us. And it's that same text says that he has poured this love out in our hearts by giving us the Holy Spirit. It's there. How do you tap it? The Spirit helps you focus on the, on the fact of the love of Christ for you. When you are well-loved, you become loving. That's all. So, if you read this text and you're feeling convicted, like when I said all that about how you should think about other people and encourage other people and really kind of be entirely focused on the benefit of others and not at all on your own. And when we talked about doing this on purpose and the fact that it's costly and the fact that it helps other people at my expense, and when I am exhausted by the commandment, which is exhausting, how is that burden relieved? Just the one way. I turn to him. I say, I can't do it. Look, if I'm going to love you people this way, it's got to come from some source besides me. I just don't. So if I'm going to, what I need is to remember the love of God in Jesus for me to notice how well loved I am to notice that in Christ God has given me everything and we don't mean everything in some sort of hyperbolic exaggerated way we literally mean everything Scripture says this, in case you're wondering. If he gave his only son, how can he not with him also freely give us all things? The whole world is mine. I am fabulously rich. I could hand out anything I have and not have to worry for one second about whether I'm going to be taken care of. When I notice how well-loved I am, I become loving. This is the key. So if you want to do something with this commandment, the key thing to do is focus your attention on that phrase, just as I have loved you. That's where the power to obey the commandment is found. So we could say how, we can describe how in terms of, you know, these qualities of this love, or we can describe how in terms of the procedure of exactly how one would go about doing it. But we also need to answer the question how, as in, where's the power? Power is in the fact that I've experienced it myself.
Father, we thank you for your love shown to us in Christ. We pray, Father, for this work of the Spirit in our hearts and minds that would so focus our attention on the quality of your love for us that it would be transforming in our own lives. We recognize, Lord, that this is something we need from you, not something we provide ourselves. This is your plan for humanity from the beginning, that we would rely on you and then reflect who you are in our relationships with each other. Father, I pray that this church would be a place where people would come through the door and say, uh, these people are clearly following Jesus. Look at how they love each other. Lord, uh, what a privilege to know you, to experience your grace. We want to thank you, worship you. We cast ourselves on you, our only reasonable response to all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.